Hello and welcome everybody to Wildstorm Addiction, episode number 16 for the weeks of September 22nd and 29th. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. I do want to warn about spoilers as we go through the reviews tonight. We do spoil the issues. However, all the reviews up on the site are spoiler-free unless otherwise noted. So, moving on to the big Wildstorm news. You know, sometimes we don't have any news, but this time... We have pretty much the biggest news of all, which is Wildstorm is no longer. <laughs> I'm going to try not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't cry. <laughs> How do you think I'm going to feel when I go to New York and I have to like hear it from all the creators that are actually passionate about Wildstorm? Yeah. Uh, so there were two releases that got posted by DC last week. One was DC Entertainment announces bi-coastal realignment strategy. Multimedia and digital businesses relocate to Los Angeles, while DC Comics Publishing is to remain in New York City. Now, the second release was a message from Jim Lee and Dan Didio, DC Comics co-publishers. And I just want to pull out a little quote from that. After taking the comic scene by storm nearly 20 years ago, the Wildstorm Universe titles will end this December. In the soft marketplace, these characters need a break to regroup and redefine what made them once unique and cutting edge. While these will be the final issues published under the Wildstorm imprint, it will not be the last time we will see many of these heroes. We, along with Jeff Johns, have a lot of exciting plans for these amazing characters, so stay tuned. Going forward... Wildstorm's licensed titles and kids' comics will now be published under the DC banner. And that's the only <laughs> bit of shining hope in that news is that part there at the end, you know, that the characters are not done yet. And that Jeff Johns is involved somehow. That's, that's, uh, that's actually good. <laughs> so There may be a silver lining somewhere in there. Although I know a lot of guys on the board don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. And this week, you know, I'm flying out to New York to go to the con... There is a Wildstorm panel still. There's also a Jim Lee panel and a Jim Lee signing. So, you know, if I can get him into a corner, you know, I'll ask him why he ignored his imprint for the last 10 years. (laughs) Yeah, that's about all we have to say to it now. You know, Joe and I may do a a special edition at the end of the December run and and talk more about Wildstorm and, and the closing of it. But for now, that's the news. So... Um, there are a couple other things. Uh, Wildstorm Presents Planetary Lost Worlds Number 1 is coming in December, and this is basically a collection of the stories from uh, Planetary and the Authority crossover Ruling the World one-shot and Planetary JLA crossover Terra Occulta. There's also a bunch of trades that were announced during the last solicits in January, which include Sparta USA. God knows why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to say this crap now because you know what? <laughs> this is why Wildstorm is closing. <laughs> fringe, Tales from the Fringe, and the Talara Chronicles. Gears of War, book two, hardcover is also coming in February. Uh, and that's basically the Wildstorm news. And, you know, that was short, but so much in there. Well, before we get into the reviews, I just want to say real quick, there's some very weird decisions they made about stuff to print here at the end, knowing that they were going to close. This Wildstorm Presents Planetary collection is very weird that they would put that out there uh, and and that they would leave out 
the uh, planetary Batman crossover. You know, it's because basically this is the this is that's all that's missing. This is almost like a reprint of that trade that collected them all before. That and the one that's coming out in November called Wildstorm Presents, which is basically just a collection of old stories. I, I mean, there's just some weird decisions <laughs> that just don't seem, even with the, this announcement, doesn't seem to make any sense. No, no, they really don't. We've seen them all before, and yeah, even this one, you are missing one title there, and it's all of them. And it's Batman. You know, it's not like it's a non-DC character, so... Yeah, you'd think they'd wrap the cover with that. Just very weird. Yeah, another strange decision by Wildstorm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and and on the boards, we tell them what we want and what we'll buy, but hey. Uh, no. Well, we'll see. Like I said... I mean, I'm just glad that we're not going to see the last of them. I mean, even even if this is the end of the Wallstorm universe as we know it, and it'll start something new, which is what I'm guessing they'll probably do. I mean, they wouldn't do something this dramatic without doing finally a complete reboot, which unfortunately, you know, nobody wanted. But if you're going to do it, like, hey, why not just kill the imprint, right? <laughs> That's a true reboot. Yeah. <laughs> so... Anyway. St- uh, yeah, I'm not going to go on. Yeah, Because I, I can. <laughs> we can. Yeah, we don't want to turn this into the podcast only on that. So we'll go ahead and move on to the first review of the night, which is uh, Garrison number six of six, which is written by Jeff Mariotti with art and cover by Francesco Francavia. And this is actually the second uh, creator owned miniseries that we are finishing up here on the podcast. Like uh, Jeff Mariotti himself came on the the board saying he f- thought it appropriate that that his story here is going to be one of the last to be printed by Wildstorm because he was one of the early writers for them. It was actually pretty funny. Like the day after the announcement, he's like, "Hey, hey, we're not ending until December. Hey, my book's coming out this week. Don't forget." Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that's not as funny as Crystal's Gages one on Twitter. He posted. He was like. Go out and get my Stormwatch PhD trade before they go out of print. And he put in parentheses, too soon? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Another side note. I'm going to probably do a lot of side notes. <laughs> uh, speaking of Mariotti, uh, I actually stumbled across some Gen 13 novels at Half Price Books this week. And I was aware of at least one or two of these. And Jeff Mariotti actually wrote two of them. One is called Gen 13 Nether War. The other one he wrote is called Time and Chance. And then there's one called Gen 13 Version 2.0, which is written by Charlie Fish. So I just saw these. And I remember I remember seeing these, but of course, back when, when everything was fine, I was like, why do I want a Gen 13 novel? But now that all this stuff is going to be you know, collectible because the imprint's dead, I'm like, well, half price, I'll pick them up. So I may be reading these if I can, if they're you know if, if if they're good and I can get through them. Those will, but the covers will definitely be on the wiki. I'll find somewhere to stick them in there. So yeah, that's that's funny that you mentioned it. It was because of his post that made me go out and look at those same books too, because I didn't realize that he did them. And I was looking on Amazon, and you know people have them up there for like fifty cents, and I was like, oh, I should get these. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any other novels I was asking around. I was asking Chris Stryker and uh, Titanothrope on the boards, and they didn't remember. Chris, Chris Stryker didn't even know these existed. I'm like, oh, dude, come on. <laughs> you call yourself a true Wildstorm fan. You should have at least known these existed. Even I knew that. <laughs> 
But yeah, just for collector's sake now. And I don't think any of the other titles ever got any novel books. I know Chris Stryker has a authority uh, like role playing game, which we need to get that picture of that on the wiki. So oh, I have that. I can scan that in. Oh, okay. <laughs> the wiki has just become a mausoleum now. <laughs> <So> <laughs> we're going to call it the Wildstorm Mausoleum. <laughs> <laughs> it's a memorial. So anyways, Garrison. So, back, to back, yeah. back to Garrison. Yeah. So Garrison. <laughs> what can I say about Garrison? <laughs> you know, like I've said in the past, I, I, I do like Mariotti's work. Uh, you know, he's he, he's a pretty traditional comic book writer you know he's um he's not afraid to to kind of throw the fantastic in there every now and then and and not really have to explain it you know in this one he was pretty he was pretty tame about that the only thing we got was that energy knife like in issue three that i thought came out of nowhere based on all the other technology that we saw in in this world you know when we got garrison's origin last issue i was kind of disappointed because that's kind of what i thought what it was but i was hoping that he would take a chance and do something a little bit different I mean, he did kind of throw in one more little little tidbit in here that was interesting but it just wasn't enough this just i mean this is the this was truly the tail end of the action movie i mean you know you start off with garrison and and jillian in bed you know and and they've just uh you know had the obligatory you know sex scene and of course that gives the government enough time to rally around the building and set up more of the garrison clones to go in and try to take them down and garrison and jillian are walking around naked trying to get ready to to fight them back and just from then on it basically just it's just more of the same it's just more garrison you know taking out taking out the authorities taking out more of his garrison clones you know stuff blowing up cue the jerry Bruckheimer music you know <laughs> In essence, that's, the, that's what the rest of this book is. I mean, it, uh, we find out that um, Clark Sullivan, the girl with the guy's name, uh, apparently was the wife of the um, soldier who was used as the template for uh, the Garrison clones. And Garrison was actually her attempt to try to bring her husband back, who I guess, uh, apparently had died. And that's why this garrison is different than the other clones. That's why he has, you know, more of a free will than the rest of them. So that was kind of interesting, but it was almost like Sparta was a little bit, you know, too little, too late. You know, we have, you know, huge, crazy action scene where Garrison, you know, commandeers a, one of the jet fighters and just starts taking out the garrison clones and then crashes. And he's okay, of course. No, you know, nothing's wrong with him. And you know next thing you know they're they're jumping in another jet and they're taking off everybody's kind of like well do we go after him and and then then we're just left with a uh, cliffhanger of something that i guess was supposed to lead into a, another series i just ended up giving it a 5 which i think i was being kind to it cuz i really was just disappointed that mariotti didn't do anything really fresh or new with this series and and i know he's i know he's got it in him i've read his stories before so it's like this is a story that I might have expected from him at the beginning of his career, not not here, you know, years later. I just was very disappointed with this series. I really gave it a shot. I really tried to have fun with it, and ultimately, it just disappointed me. So, what do you think, Ben? Wow, I gotta say, I I mean, I've breezed through some reviews, but man, <laughs> that that took the cake. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. I pretty much expected this. No, that's funny. Um, the, I mean, I agree with you completely. Like, I think 
I was nice giving this a five as well because, I mean, you look at this one issue and then you look at the whole series and you're like, eh, I guess I'd go pay six bucks to go see that during a matinee showing. <laughs> or I'd wait for it to come out on DVD because, eh, you've seen it before. Yeah. The, the one fun thing about this issue is at the beginning when they're running around the house naked because it was like that scene at the end of Austin Powers where you know they're walking around naked and there's like bowls of fruit in front of them just like (laughs) conveniently placed yeah conveniently placed and that's basically what the first three pages were and that was fun but that's pretty much it I mean yeah not much to say on that it was the blockbuster comic book of the past six months. See, I'm not breezing through the review. There really is nothing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, there, I, there I, really isn't. I, I could describe each of the action scenes for you guys if you want me to, but I mean, there's no point, really. <laughs> well, let's move on to Wildcats, because yeah, <laughs> we're going nowhere good tonight. And to be honest, I mean, come on, we're jaded. I mean, our favorite thing in the world has just been taken away from us. So, <sighs> Anyways... Wildcats number 27, written by Adam Beechin, art by Tim Seeley and Andy Smith, and cover by Chris Sprouse and Carl Story. We get a status report, and, and basically the status report, report this time is everybody's screwed. So <laughs> <laughs> there's not much to elaborate with that. Not, um, as, not as bad as the authority one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. There's just more people in different locations that are screwed in this one. Yeah. So basically the issue kicks off where we left off in Egypt. They list it Abu Simbel. I'm just going to keep saying Egypt because it's easier. Yeah. It, and in this issue, right on the second page, Aeon, the supposed hero of the last couple issues, his true identity is revealed as Jeremiah Kane, who is uh, Mago's former student. You would have learned and read about Jeremiah Kane in Stormwatch PhD, correct? Yeah, yeah, which I had actually forgotten. They hadn't done that little insert of a Black Betty mm-hmm. you know, with him. I wouldn't have ever known who this was, so I'm glad they inserted that. Yeah, and, and this is just one of those things where, like, after the announcement, the boards kind of went crazy, even though there was nobody on them until that happened. But uh, there was only a few people or a few creators that got on the boards, and Adam Beeson was one of them, and he was on it uh, fairly prolifically, considering of you know all the mud that was being slung around. But you could tell that Adam really has done his research throughout his entire run, and this is just another one of those those insights to that. Anyways, and so much so that he even figured that nobody else would know who this guy was too and we get a couple solid pages of his backstory and where Kane had been you know since Stormwatch PhD when we saw him last and and basically he had been and I put this in air quotes communing in dimensions that drive sane creatures mad is basically how he put it and he's having this conversation with a battalion who's like what the f dude like (laughs) (laughs) you could have saved the world. And he's like, nah, that's not the point. I'm trying to save, you know, something much larger than this piddly little world. Yeah, he he basically talks about an approaching threat far beyond what we know as World's End. Yeah, it's called the closure of Wild Star. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how how poignant. Now we all know. (laughs) It's called the DC gods are upon us. Yeah. Uh, Another Adam Beach inside bar. Uh, he basically said he had 
World's End mapped out way beyond the December deadline, if you will. So much so that he didn't even get the call that Wildstorm was going under. So these issues are going to seem really weird when we get up to December when, you know, he had to kind of fudge things and bring it to a crashing halt. It's a semi-closure because he didn't even know. So it's going to feel very rushed. And these, just reading through these pages, it it feels somber already knowing this, but... Anyways, I'll just keep going. <laughs> so Kane, Aeon Kane, talks about acquiring all the power that he needs in his return to consume their collective power. And he found out that the, the planet had become magically unstable, which helped him gain all his power. And he was even there when the carrier left in London. And, you know, he was kind of in the background and nobody even noticed him. And then he talks about how he hooked up with Gaia to tap into the Earth's primal magical energies. And during all this time, as the Earth started to become more magically unstable, he absorbed two magical eruptions, which we saw on a previous issue, which those were enough for him to turn on the, our heroes and, and take their powers. Like, he was able to gain enough that he could finally be like, no, now I'm going to take yours. We also get a brief background on Gaia and how she kind of came to be and how she was a weird, depressed century baby, I guess. And, and she's fighting our heroes in order to keep them busy so that Kane can go and do what he needs to do, which is suck up more energy, I guess. I mean, he's just... It's all about power for him right now. And... Savant's like, uh, come on, we need we need Voodoo and Sir Edwin. They're the connection to our ecosystem, and, and they're kind of passed out right now, and she doesn't know what's going on. So Voodoo and Sir Edwin are back in the Garden of Ancestral Memory, and the garden is dying, and there's no doctor to be found, and they're pretty much screwed too. So nothing good is going on, basically. Then we move on to Team 7 in Langley, Virginia. So basically, Slayton and Christine have this conversation about Lynch releasing the War Guard, who they can't really control. They're basically a big doomsday device. We find out that Mark Slayton has been making the encryption harder for Lynch to free the War Guard, which is pretty funny. So he's been slowing them down because, I mean, even Christine says, I had never seen Lynch like this. And so they're in there having this conversation, and then there's a huge explosion at that facility. And they run over to the explosion and they see that John Lynch is on the ground. Christine and Slayton look up and and the war guard is missing, basically. Then we flip over to Skywatch and Grunge is checking in with Spartan. Grunge basically explains that he tried to use the door technology to remove the war guard before Lynch could free them. But during that time, there was a a magical energy spike or something happened, which I assume was the explosion, and he was only able to get two of the war guard. So two of the war guard are actually being held in Skywatch in these tubes right behind Grunge, which is kind of funny. And the third one is empty, so there's one war guard that has presumably been released. And then we move on to some of Adam's quirky humor and Tim's awesome drawing. And we flip over to a temple in Egypt. So we flip over to Lady Tron, who is using her headlights (laughs) to examine the temple for uh, bad guys, I guess. She's kind of walking around. I'm not really sure why she's not out out in the field with the rest of them. But anyways, she runs across a large group of, uh, I guess they're followers of the Church of Gort. They're basically a bunch of robots. 
it, it's just a quick page, and they're like, and she's like, well, I got to go back out and join the fight. It's actually two pages. And they're like, well, we're not leaving. We came to do something. And so she's like, okay, well, come with me. So it's basically more inf- infantry for the fight outside. So she gets more people. Great. Sorry, I'm kind of being condescending, but this is a really good issue. Uh, so then we go back to the fight, and Spartan checks in with Battalion, and Spartan actually tells Battalion that he'll be there shortly, because as we see in the next page, Link has been slowly working on di- different iterations of legs for him, and he finally has his first full set of legs. And then we have more fight with uh, Kane. Black Halo is actually trying to kick his butt and. I don't know what he does to him, but he he basically taps him on the forehead and he's knocked unconscious. We don't know if he's dead. We don't know what. So basically he starts flying down into this hole. It looks like a well. And Winter tries to grab hold of him. And this is the second time that Winter tried to steal his powers in this issue. To no avail. Winter has to be faster about it. And, you know, Kane is too quick to be like, just brush him off. Not a big deal. And, And Gaia is still kicking their butts all of their butts collectively. And Mago is trying to figure out why Kane's doing this. So we, we keep getting this little quips of what, what he's doing. And so Kane basically explains to Mago that he needs all the power Earth has. So he's going down to the Earth's core. He starts flying down this huge well and Battalion basically says, all right, Fuji and Hellstrike, you can handle the pressure. So go down after him and you see Fuji and Hellstrike hop down into that big hole. And basically, the rest of the issue is Gaia kicking everybody's butt. Battalion basically tells Spartan that they need reinforcements immediately. Spartan doesn't really have anybody, but guess who shows up? Ladytron. But it's not just Ladytron. It's Sergeant Freaky and her (laughs) creaking commandos. And they're here to save the day. Hopefully. Hopefully is more like it. <laughs> yes. Hopefully. What did you what did you rate this issue? It, it's really hard to set aside the news and, and rate this just this issue. If I were to set aside the news, I'd say it's a seven. If I gave it some weight and, and you know and let my depression give it a little bit of a nudge, it probably would be a six. But mm. you know, this series is awesome and I wish you know I wish it wasn't tainted for me I wish they would have waited till December and just told us then you know and it just ended then because then I, I I wouldn't have this foreboding you know just on me knowing that I'm reading the end of this well I don't think they would have though because if we wouldn't have seen anything solicited for January we would have been like uh this is not good you know so no, I understand why they did it. I'm just saying it's really hard to do this now, knowing that it's ending. You're reading the last last little bit here. Yeah. No, I ended up giving it a 7 as well. I just, uh, you know, and obviously uh, the news did kind of affect my rating a little bit, but I don't think as much really because ultimately, like the thing with Jeremiah Kane, it was cool. It's definitely something that in the overall picture of the Wallstorm U, you know, it's, it's uh, a great nod to to the universe in its entirety which is what he's been doing all along you know even even by reaching as far back as bringing in the war guard but you know i was kind of a little underwhelmed that it was jeremiah kane but after a while i was like well who's left you know we pretty much every every major wildstorm villain with the exception of hellspot was accounted for 
uh, in World's End so far. It was like, if it wasn't them, who was it going to be, you know? And at least in this case, you know, it all it all fits, it all makes sense, you know, with the whole magic thing. Why was he absorbing magic? And, you know, there's not really any of the other villains that, that would have um, fit this story about the, the world being unstable, the world's magic being unstable. And I, I think I was okay with all that, and it was cool how he goes back and explains, you know, why Aeon was in the background of, of uh, you know, those, those authority issues before the carrier blasted off. And, and, yeah, it is cool that we do get to see Gaia one more time because she was, you know, a character that, that was just, you know, barely introduced when Worlds in uh, began over the authority. So there, there were definitely lots of, of highlights in the issue, but, but yeah, there is that sense of the, the world is ending. And the funny thing is, before they made the announcement, you know, I kind of had that feeling anyway. It's kind of appropriate, I guess, that this is the story that they were doing, you know, when they announced the end. Because, you know, like the scene where Voodoo and Sir Edwin are in the garden and the garden is dying, basically. I mean, this is just, it's all appropriate. It's, it's all very appropriate. I mean, yeah, there might be some things that... Uh, like Adam said, won't be resolved. I think he said that we'll find out who the new doctor is. I don't. I think the only thing that he didn't mention was the majestic story, right? Do you remember that from the boards? I, I don't remember if he if he said anything about that. Yeah, I'm kind of afraid that the majestic story might be dropped. But you know what? If you want an end to this Wildstorm universe, you know you can take Alan Moore's majestic story. <laughs> That he did in uh, Wildstorm Spotlight, or what was that one called? Yeah, it was Wildstorm Spotlight. So basically, this universe will have an end, or it already has an end. has had an ending since Alan Moore wrote that, you know. And anything that happens doesn't really affect that, you know, unless they were to outright kill Majestic, which they're not going to, so. No, and, and the only character really that's had a lot to do with the DC Universe well, is Majestic. I mean, he crossed over more than any other character, so... And that's why, even as much as it sucks, it it's uh, it's very appropriate that this is the story that's ending ending it. You know, because it it did feel like like the end of the Wallstorm universe already. But it, it's cool to see. You know, I, I like this little exchange between uh, you know Slayton and Christine Blaze. Like I said in my review, my written review, you know, these are the last times that you're going to see these characters, and and yeah, it's a countdown now. But I mean, there's still a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff they got to deal with. Like yeah. I mean, that was a pretty cool move that Grunge was able to, that in essence Grunge was teleporting the War Guard. They weren't outright escaping, although one of them, you know, got lost. So that that was pretty cool. That that was a nice little addition, you know, because he could have easily just been like, no, they're escaping, let's just have them run rampant. And, and yeah, the Lady Tron headlights joke was, was pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, the whole thing with the robots, I just felt like it was uh, the thing that Crystal's Gage did already, too. It's like, you know, she had her robot friends in that run too and she gathered them together and they didn't come in till the last minute to help so i think that's kind of what disappointed me about that because this one this one's more out of nowhere see with the christmas gauge one at least we got a full issue for lady tron where she introduced us to that group of robots you know so they could come later this is just like oh there's a group of robots here let's use them <laughs> you know? yeah right so so that that i think that's kind of what threw me off a little bit on that one and yeah, the scene with Spartan and his legs is pretty cool. Hopefully we'll get to see him in action one more time. But yeah, I mean, uh, I, I do hope that, that the majority of this gets resolved by the final issue, even if it's not everything. Maybe the fact that we are going to find out who the new Doctor is, maybe that's going to be enough closure. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, that thing with her and the robots at the end. I mean, it was kind of funny, but I'm like, oh, come on, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> can you say cheese? <laughs> I said lots of it. <laughs> what do we got now? Three more issues? Yeah, 28, 29, and 30. Yep. So we still got plenty of time for stuff to happen. Oh, yeah, plenty of time. Only that last one did he know about the end of Wildstorm, so these next two are kind of still just going to keep going. Oh, was it 30 that he said he was on when he <laughs> yeah. when they found out? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why I was trying to say it's going to feel really weird hitting that last issue, and he's like, oh, crap, got to wrap all this up. Yeah, just going to be a bunch of uh, epilogues. <laughs> 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 and then this happened, and this happened. Yeah, it's like if this was the last issue, the next one would be like, and so the Wildcats, you know, defeated Jeremiah Kane. Yeah, <laughs> <You right>. <laughs> I'm sure he tried his best to make it not so jarring. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I, I know that the cover for Wildcats 30 and Authority 29 is very appropriate. The newcomer Jeremy Raypack drew a picture of the world exploding in the background. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But, and these issues are, uh, you know, are going to be hard to come by because I'm sure they're going to be a low print run. I just hope that we make it to uh, December. I'm sure we will, but uh, a lot of Dead Universes, usually the, the last few issues that come out are usually low prints. So if you're trying to complete the Wallstorm U or you decided to now that you're like, well, it's the Dead Universe, I can collect them all, well... Better get these while they're new on the stand because <laughs> they will be hard to find, trust me. It's like a run on the banks for the Wildstorm diehards. Yep. <laughs> Let's go get it. And the last one we got for the evening is Wetworks Mutations, which is a one-shot that is written by Kevin Graveau and Christopher Long. The art is by Julius Gopez, and the cover is by Brandon Badeau, who we all love. <laughs> Whose art we all love. This was a nice little surprise this year. Again, thanks to the news, it's you know it is cool that we're getting one more Wetworks story before the end. I was never really a big Wetworks fan at all. In fact, I'd probably have to rank them the my lowest favorite team. You know, I always talk about how I never really liked the Authority. To me, they were below the Authority not because I thought they were terrible, but in terms of how much I followed them, which was almost nothing. <laughs> For me, it was just, um, I loved the concept, and when I read the first issue and started seeing that the, that their thing was that they were going to go after the supernatural, I just didn't get it. I was like, where does that come from, you know? Because I think I still had Team 7 on my mind when I thought about Wetworks, because they were supposed to be the current incarnation of Team 7, if I remember right. It's been so long since I've read up on them, but if I remember the first issue, they were supposed to be like the current incarnation. Do you remember that? Um, I'm not... Sure, because I didn't really follow up with Wetworks until I came back to Wildstorm after my like college break. So I never read Wetworks whenever it was out on the stands. I went back and bought it all up and read it all all at once like a year ago when it was being solicited and, and out. I you know I saw it on the stands, but it was way beyond my meager grocery store <laughs> <laughs> budget. So yeah. I don't know. I I I should have looked it up, I guess, but I I kind of remember something about that. But the point is, is that I I that's kind of what I was wanting from this team was something that was more of the the straight up military stuff. And to me, the the supernatural aspect was just kind of jarring. I just I just didn't get it. I I don't know. I had a friend who who really really got into this team and really followed them, 
And, you know, the original run went for a while. It went, like, what, 42 issues or something like that? It did, but I do have to say they had the coolest toys because they were violent <laughs> toys. <laughs> yes, and they, they kicked butt. And I have them all, so, ha, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to have Dane, but I gave it away to the same friend I'm talking about because he had been out of comics for a while and I was trying to get him back. Well, I, I did it for you guys because I put... I, I had to photograph all of them for the wiki. So, oh. <laughs> when my wife kept going, "Why are you spending all this money on these crazy, stupid old toys?" and I'm like, "That's why." Yeah, those are definitely some I need to go back and get now too. So yeah, so you know, what works? You know, they were around for a while, and you know, they were Will Sportacio's creation, and you know, and he was one of the. I don't know if he ever was an official Image founder because I know he came in later, but he. Got it out, did a few issues, and I know he had some health issues, and I remember his sister passed away, and so all those factors played into him not staying with the title and being out of comics for a while. You know, this team was gone for the longest time. I know they tried to bring him back uh, in the Eye of the Storm line. They actually were in the uh, Eye of the Storm annual, I think, is where Dane is is shown for the first time in a while. I mean, he might have had some cameos in, in between that time period, but... But then we didn't see anything about, uh, about what works again until 2006, and Worldstorm, you know, brought him back with Will Sportacio drawing them. He was on it for a while, and uh, again, he, even when that was coming out, I just there was nothing about it that I really wanted to follow. You know, I, I actually didn't pick up the trades for that until the series was canceled, <laughs> and read through those and. And they were okay. I mean, I don't remember anything that was just, you know, really outstanding about them. But they are a cool aspect of the of the Wallstorm U that I was like, well, you know, they're out there. You know, they do deal with the supernatural stuff. And I know when uh, Dane showed up in the World's End backup stories and, you know, they were fighting the Vampire Nation, to me, that would have made a good fifth World's End title. You know, probably wouldn't have been supported for very long, but... <laughs> But it would have been a cool title just to see them doing that in this in this world, and in essence, here in What Works Mutations, we get a, a little glimpse of what that kind of a of a series would have been like. You know, we open up with a um, a pretty good, uh, basically the same format of the uh, of the summary pages from the other titles. Uh, this one's giving a huge summary. You know, it's basically talking about the origin of the wetworks talking about how how they got involved with the current crisis on earth and you know how they've been assigned by Spartan to go out you know on, on some sort of mission which I don't think is ever clearly clearly defined as far as I remember till they find themselves in the middle of Utah fighting Damonites which was uh, interesting that they decided to start this team off by fighting you know a Wildcats foe so for me reading this I could say it was pretty close to an experience almost like as of a person picking this up for the first time, like never reading Wetworks. They do a pretty good job of getting you to know most of the characters. Dane, you know, the leader of Wetworks, is is narrating this, which I think is was a really good idea to have him do that because, you know, he's able to point out some of the other characters and kind of give a little of his personal insight into them. Newcomer Julius Gopas's art was great in this. I'm just I'm just sad that we're not going to see more of it because I just thought it was appropriate the the coloring and the you know it's it's real dark and 
you know, for them to be later on fighting, you know, you know what, they don't ever fight anybody but the Daemonites in here, do they? They don't fight any of the supernatural threats, right? No, not at all. Yeah. The, the supernatural threats are the two vampire queens that they yeah. actu- actually rescue from the Daemonites, so, no. Yeah. Yeah, you guys out there will have to forgive me because I read this about 30 minutes before the podcast. It's been a rough week, so. <laughs> you pulled a Ben. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's normally me. <laughs> But that's the thing here is that um, you know that they do find the who I who I find out later is the vampire princess actually right because I thought it was the queen or she's the queen now because apparently her mother's dead. Yes. And these are the kind of things that that I think they did a good job of inserting into the story to kind of get you up to speed. And it's like okay, so she's the queen because her mother's dead and. Persephone apparently is a vampire too. I never really understood what her role was, but I get that they're, you know, that they're that they think they're the only two vampires left, which might be true, based on what happened in Stormwatch PhD, where Winter seems to have taken out the entire Night Tribe nation. So apparently, the two vampires put there were, you know, part of a trap by the Daemonites. During the attack by the Daemonites, Dane gets his arm chewed off. <laughs> And I was like, what is it with Wallstorm and dismembering the members of Team 7? <laughs> you know? I mean, because Backlash, you know, way back when in, in uh, Wildcore, you know, lost his leg and it's still gone. And now Dane loses an arm. <laughs> yeah, he just got his arm bit off. So so he's he's entitled to blackout. So. <laughs> what a wuss. He calls himself a soldier? Come on. Member of Team 7 and everything. <laughs> so Dane comes to, and you know, apparently they've neutralized the threat, but uh, he's minus an arm now. And the reason I kind of skipped over, but the reason he lost the arm is because his symbiote decided to um, stop working in the middle of that battle. I guess I should. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know, but I'll just review it real quick. You know, the symbiotes are basically like what Venom is. You know, over in uh, Marvel for spider-man you know it's uh except these are gold you know they're living creatures that attach themselves you know to to dane and his uh other members of his team and you know that's that's been their trademark ever since the beginning so they mention here that uh, their symbiotes have been freaking out basically since the world ended and this is the first time it seems that his symbiote has just turned off without him doing it i don't remember if they can do it at will or if they uh or if they can even change back, I think they can. So, you know, from there, they're trying to find out, you know, why why are a bunch of Daemonites here, and they uh, stumble across a, a plot. Uh, Persephone says that there was a prophecy that uh, the vampires would create, you know, hybrid creatures with the Daemonites, so she fears that that's being fulfilled now. And uh, two of the Wetworks members, uh, Grail and Jester, are captured by the Daemonites, and we find that Lord Defile... And Lady Decadence and basically just about every other Stormwatch PhD villain is here. <laughs> and then we see the Daemonite scientist named Slicks, who we got first got introduced to in the Number of the Beast uh, miniseries. Apparently, Lord Defile is trying to make the prophecy come true by doing exactly that, by splicing. Except he's using Jester and Grail to create this hybrid, not a vampire. At least, I don't think... Or did he steal some... I think he might have stole some of uh, Persephone's and Aaron's, I think was the 
princess's name. I think might have stolen some of their DNA, but as Daemonites always do, they're always stabbing each other in the back. So Slicks is allowing uh, Grails and Jester's internal homing devices to stay active so Dane can find them because he fears for his life against Lord Defile. Because, like I said, the Daemonites are always stabbing each other in the back. And there's an interesting cameo here by a guy named Derby, who I don't remember. He claims he's a hero who has encountered what works before, but right now he's working for Lord Defile. And it's kind of a weird little cameo because you kind of get the sense at first that he might be the the one who's going to turn at the end, but this little story of his seems to be promptly dropped. <laughs> so I don't know what the deal with that was. I don't know if it was supposed to be something that was explored in a future series or what. And I don't recognize that character anyway, so I don't know if he's if he is from Wildstorm's history or if they just added him. I, I don't recognize him at all either, and he's not in the wiki. So, <laughs> <laughs> and if he's not in the wiki, that means he don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, <Yeah. laughs> you know. So the what works, you know, they they stage a raid on the on the Daemonites hideout, and uh, some of the other what works like Dozer, you know, start to find that that their uh, symbiotes continue to to mutate and change. So they get another big battle with the Daemonites and. Dane finds that uh, apparently one of the Daemonites throws a wrecked car at him, and Dane is able to catch it with his new hand that the symbiote replaced where his missing hand was. So each of their symbiotes seem to be growing some sort of different power. Dozer's looks like it's going like Warblade, and you know all his fingers are are becoming like knives and stuff. Meanwhile, Lord Defile figures out that Slicks has betrayed them, and that he led Dane and the others here. So we start working our way to a huge confrontation between the two. And and this is where the issue started feeling really like 90s to me, <laughs> especially in the dialogue. I don't know what it was. All of a sudden, I just felt like we were in the 90s again. It was just very, very cut and dry. And and then the very end, you know, the of course, Lord Defile and the others escape. No, Jester apparently is... 100% symbiote now because the, when they ask him if he's okay, he said this basically says his body no longer belongs to Jester. What does it belong to with the symbiote? You know, these things used to bond with the team members, and now this one for Zamrina is taking Jester over, and then we get kind of a, you know, this is this is the month of hokey endings. <laughs> you know, I just thought that this ending where they're all kind of standing together and Dane's like, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and, you know, Soldier's greatest weapon is the ability to adapt to any situation, and we're going to have to adapt to this hell on Earth. But don't forget the golden rule. Those who have the gold make the rule, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, wow. I don't know. I just, I was just kind of laughing at that. I was like, really? That's That just seems like so 90s to me, you know? I don't know. I just wanted to, like, the A-team music to come on at the end or something. <laughs> you didn't think that was the most amazing prose ever? <laughs> But that's the thing. I, I don't know where that came from all of a sudden. You know, his his inner monologue at the beginning was great. I mean, it was going along just fine. And it's like all of a sudden we attack the Daemonite's headquarters. And it's like we just revert back to the 90s. <laughs> so I, I ended up giving it a 7. I mean, like I said, uh, not really being a, uh, a What Works fan, I just was kind of reading it as is. And uh, as is, it's, it's, a, it's a decent comic. Uh, the art is amazing. I love the art. Uh, I really wish that we could have seen more of his stuff. I don't care where, but he's got some really great art. But the story itself was just kind of like another... It was obviously setting up something for the future, you know. Uh, it's too bad 
again that they didn't let them know that the series was ending some I mean that the world was ending that the imprint was ending that everything was ending um, <laughs> because somebody mentioned on the boards they're like you know this would have been nice to let the works go out in a blaze of glory and I'm like yeah I would have appreciated that if that if that would have been the case so ended up being just you know a decent little adventure and it's too bad that we won't ever see any any of the fruits from this from this little tale because a lot of it was set up that we could have seen in maybe a mini series because I don't think they would have given Wetworks another series, but we could have maybe gotten a mini series, but no more. What do you think? I actually, I think you're a little too kind with it. Actually, <laughs> I, no, I'm being honest. I only gave this a five. Oh. I mean, it, it was a three ninety nine one shot, mm-hmm. so you actually paid an extra dollar for an extra six pages. I guess that was. A bonus because a lot of titles are now becoming three ninety nine for the same amount. But you know, when we saw the previews and all the other Wildstorm titles in the at the back of those issues, I was really like, "Wow, how oh, cool! Really detailed art, just kind of like Brandon Badeau, but different." So I was excited. But when I read through this as a whole, it didn't really hold water for me. It it, it kind of fell apart around the last third of the issue. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't feel rushed. It just, you know, as I collectively looked through it, it, it wasn't detailed in a way that Badeau's work is detailed. It, it's more sketchy. So it's not like looking at an HDTV and being like, oh, wow, that's really crisp and detailed. It's more like a a good standard def image, I guess. So a good DVD. So there was more detail in there, but it was sketchy. So it wasn't it wasn't my cup of tea, at least. But yeah, I mean, the dialogue was hokey throughout. The story jumped all around. I mean, we got some of Number of the Beast in there. We got some of Stormwatch PhD in there. None of which I don't believe really ever touched Wetworks. So they were kind of like taking these other series and like, well, we didn't really wrap these up before, so let's throw them in here. Which was kind of odd to me, because this was only ever going to be a one-shot anyway. I mean, I know a lot of people were saying, give us what works, give us what works, and this is what we got out of us saying that. I don't know, it didn't didn't feel very well thought out. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, like I said, it was just nice to see the characters again, but um, I, I guess, like you said, it just it just kind of falls apart at the end, because I was fine with the first with the first parts of the issue. You know, I thought it was a great. I thought it was a great little adventure. You know, the way that it moved along, and yeah, I did have to have kind of a, a fast pace because it was a one shot, and because we had to wrap up the story. Like, I can see this story being longer. You know, if they would have given him a miniseries, I can totally see this this story being longer and there being more to it. But since this is all that they allotted, <laughs> then I'm kind of not surprised that that it ended the way it did. I just think I'm more disappointed that. We won't get to see some because I would definitely want to see more. It's not like this would keep me from ever checking out Wetworks. It would. I am kind of intrigued at some of the stuff. I'm like, okay, so Jester is completely symbiote now, you know, and you know Dane and and Dozer, you know, they're they're symbiotes, and I forgot somebody else. Pilgrims, she was the first one. Her symbiote can like shoot out shards of itself now. I'm with you. I agree, too. I was one of those people on the boards that, that wanted it as well. But I felt like when they did the backup stories at during the first run of the World's End titles, I felt that was more 
thought out and I really enjoyed those backup stories in the World's End titles. And this just felt a lot different than those. And it just felt like they threw a bunch of crap at them that didn't really make sense because they were loose ends in those in Stormwatch PhD and Number of the Beast. So and there wasn't really any closure in this one shot with those loose ends. So like what's the point? Because you still didn't tie up those loose ends. So. Yeah, well, that's why I said I don't think it was meant to do that. I don't think it was meant to tie up anything more than to open an opportunity to keep telling stories. This was obviously a test. You know, the test was, will people buy Wetworks? Depending on how it would have sold, you know, uh, that would have determined whether or not we would have seen a series that probably would have continued to answer these questions. Well, talk about shooting yourself in the foot when you're trying to run a marathon because they released the news right before this came out so yeah obviously they're not going to sell any yeah. because they're not going to continue this so yeah anyways i i can i can beat that thing with an ugly stick a thousand times <laughs> over so we may as well move on to the wildstorm releases in the last two weeks on september 22nd fringe tales from the fringe number four of six released the modern warfare 2 ghost trade paperback released the new Talara Chronicles number one of four released, and the long-awaited collection of Wildcats version 3.0 year one trade paperback released. Which, as far as we know, year two should still come out in the spring, whether it's tagged as a DC title or not, I don't know, but it should still be out, because that's the one most people are waiting for, is year two. (laughs) Yeah, and it's going to look really ugly on your shelf when they tag it differently. Man, I'm sorry, I can't get over it. Well, that's the thing, real quick, uh, just to interrupt you. I mean, I'm not sure how long before they switch everything over. Like, I don't know if automatically everything in January is just going to say DC or what, because, like, I know on Amazon a lot of this stuff is still listed under Wildstorm, uh, these trades that that are due out in the spring. So there's no telling, you know, which actual comic or actual trade will have the final Wildstorm logo yet so yeah and it's not like they don't own the the logo it's theirs if the Ex Machina book 5 deluxe edition that will come out in May of 2011 gets rebranded I'm gonna be so pissed <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I mean I, I don't know how that works honestly because it was under that imprint and the imprint is still officially owned by DC so if they do any kind of reprinting, I don't know how do how they would do that because I can't think of any other situation where where you would do that. You know, yeah. it's it's not like Marvel buying Miracle Man or and now they're re- renaming a Marvel Man. You know that was under well not Eclipse I don't remember but now it's under Marvel Comics. That makes more sense because yeah that's buying it from a dead company. So we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. We, yeah, we can't even make it through the Wildstorm releases. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> September 29th, uh, Absolute Promethea Volume 2 trade paperback released, and new digital comic offerings courtesy of Comicsology.com releases. Uh, Ex Machina, number 10 and 11. Red, number 1, 2, and 3. Supernatural Rising Sun, number 6. Supernatural Beginnings End, number 1. Gears of War, number 5 and 6. Talara Chronicles, number 0, which is free. Victoria Undead, number 4 and 5. And Welcome to Tranquility, number 4 and 5. Joe pointed this out to me earlier, but if you didn't notice, there's no World's End titles in that list. Nope. No explanation of that, because 
They own all those properties. They were releasing them one after the other, right after the news, no longer. It doesn't make any sense. They have them. Just release them. You're going to make money <laughs> off of them. Ugh. Yeah. Well, maybe they have to pay people to to convert them. I don't know. Anyway, if you would like to contact us, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Grifter78. You can look us both up at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki, which is wildstormresource.wetpaint.com. Ben is yoyo master one four six there. The podcast is also on Twitter. We are at Wildstorm Addict, or you can email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail dot com. And thanks to those of you who are still who are still listening. You know, unfortunately, I, there's a lot of negative emotion out there, so that seems to have affected our downloads. <laughs> so for those of you who are still listening, we do thank you that you're not letting this news uh, affect coming on and, and you know. Just discussing this, you know, with us, uh, even if it's just on the boards or whatever. You know, after December, Ben and I will decide what we're going to do. And, of course, based on what DC does with these characters in the future, we will definitely decide what to do. So so don't lose heart out there, Wildstormers. We will figure out something. We will not go quietly into the night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and actually, I've noticed that we've gotten more followers on Twitter, maybe because of the news and people are checking out the boards. But I do want to pimp our next show because we have a lot of stuff to cover. Not only are we going to have our normal reviews, but you know, we'll probably have my New York Comic Con update and you know what I bring back from their wildstorm panels and what they don't talk about because it'll probably be all focused on red we'll also be doing our first movie review which will be red which is not wildstorm universe but it was wildstorm however i'm pretty much guaranteeing that we will not see a wildstorm logo in the movie at all (laughs) just my guess on that thing yeah but yeah we do have a lot of cool stuff coming up in the next three months so don't forget about us everybody (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah go out there be looking for all the wallstorm back issues and trades because they'll be showing up at half price books soon and (laughs) (laughs) so if you've always wanted to collect and now you can own the entire universe from beginning to end and you can have the full story so you can have an 18 year story i will be doing a post about that soon so be looking out for it good night everybody good night